Thanks for tuning in to the Brooks Tree Library podcast. My name is Emily Mylan, and if you've been listening to the Know Your Town series, you're used to hearing my voice by now. Typically, I act as the interviewer for our um, various interviews with department heads. However, this segment is a little bit different. Since I am the assistant director at Brooks Free Library, I invited our staff librarian, Jamie Thornton, in to interview me for the library segment. And we got off to a rough start and had a little bit of technical difficulties at the beginning, so bear with us. Um, but we hope that you learned something and enjoy listening. Yay, we persevered. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so welcome to the Know Your Town podcast. This is Jamie. I'm sure you've heard from me before. Um, I usually run the BFO podcast with Emily uh, Carta, and um, she has moved on. So now I'm here, and we're going to um, begin the Know Your Town podcast with the Brooks Free Library. Um, and we're going to be welcoming Emily Milan. Um, she is our assistant director at the Berkshire Library. Thank you for joining me today. And we're going to dive into the big four. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself and how long um, have you been with the library? Um, well, Jamie, thanks for joining me. I appreciate you um, swapping roles here and taking on the interviewer part of this Know Your Town segment. Um, of our podcast. I'm the one who's going to be recording most of these with the other departments, but I can't interview myself. So mm. thanks for being here to do that for me. Um, I have been with the library since October of 2007. Uh, I've been the assistant director since October of 2015. I actually had to look that up this morning, sadly, because <laughs> all of the years kind of blend together. And I had forgotten exactly what year that um, promotion took place. So I had to look it up this morning to make sure I had to fact check myself. Um, but I started working for the library back in 2007 as a circulation assistant. So I was essentially a substitute working in the circulation department. And then in early 2008, I took a part-time position as a senior library tech. Um, over the course of the years, I had a couple of temporary appointments to both the youth services librarian and reference librarian. When our librarians were out on maternity leave, I stepped in for three or four months and um, worked full-time temporarily in both of those departments. And then we did a little reorganization of the library and I took a promotion to the library clerk position, which is now the executive assistant position that Megan Green is in. And um, that gave me an opportunity to work on the administrative side of the library. So I got to uh, look at budgeting and um, financial planning and state reporting and uh, collection of statistics, all that side of operations. And it was kind of perfect timing because at that point in my career, I had decided to pursue my master's in library and information science. And um, as you know, Jamie, since you're currently in a master's program as well, one of the things you have to kind of do at the beginning of that program is decide where you want to specialize or if you want to specialize. Mm -hmm. If you want to go into youth services, there's a youth services track. And if you mm -hmm. want to go into reference, there's a reference track. Um, but I had had all this experience throughout my time at the library that gave me 
kind of a unique perspective on all of the different departments and helped me decide that I wanted to go into the leadership and management track. So that's what I did and um, started that program. And then in 2015, got the promotion to assistant director. So that's how I got where I am now. Um, it's been you know, a fun a ride. Crazy, I don't even know if I knew that entire story. So it's, yeah. it's been really great. <laughs> well, good. good. Yeah, it's, good. It's, um, it's awesome that you're, that you're here with us now. Um, and um, all right, so are you ready to begin our questions? Yep, let's jump in. Let's do it. Um, so what is our department's mission and what challenges have you faced during the pandemic? Well, I think our mission can really be broken down into a couple of different parts. And I think the one that most people are familiar with is um, our collection. So that physical and electronic materials that we loan to the public, or we like to say circulate, um, that's like a library term, we circulate these things to the public. So providing that collection, making sure it's up to date, that it responds to community needs, that's part mm -hmm. of our mission. Um, the second piece of that, I think, is programs and services. So the book groups and writers groups and story times and special programs that we offer uh, alongside our reference and research assistance that we provide to library users, um, technology assistance that we provide. We do some workshops and trainings. And then another big piece of that is our vital program. So Brooks is really unique among our neighboring libraries in that we provide um, technology training to people with vision loss through our vital program. So that's a big piece of what we do. Mm. And then I think the final piece is kind of the building itself, which just really serves as a gathering place for the community. You know, people come together and share ideas, mm -hmm. uh, pursue their interests, um, educate themselves on different things. And we're really just kind of one of the last free places that community members can gather. They're yeah. not expected to buy anything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they don't have to pay to attend programs. We're kind of like one of the last free community gathering spots. Mm. So all of those things presented a lot of challenges um, in March of 2020 when the governor issued the state of emergency and then his order limiting in-person meetings, this need for physical distancing really caused some issues. We had to pivot to a virtual meeting space instead of being able to meet in our building. And that required a lot of technology skills on the part of both the staff and our library users. So I think that first six weeks, the building was closed to staff and the public, right? We went into kind of a lockdown, so to speak, for six weeks. And our staff just really focused on trying to stay connected um, through social media, keeping our website up to date, um, you know, gathering resources for community members and posting information about those. And we did some YouTube series um, mm -hmm. just to kind of stay connected with people. Uh, and we got our book groups back online virtually, which was, you know, challenging, but interesting. And um, we were able to start meeting again in April uh, after having to cancel some March meetings. So that was really good. Mm. And then the next big um, challenge, I think, came when the staff was permitted to come back into the building. So sometime in May, staff were permitted to come back to work and we were looking at how to catch up on the backlog of things that had built up over that six weeks and having to also look forward and decide 
not decide, I guess reinvent is a better word. We had to kind of reinvent how we were going to deliver Mm. our services and how we were going to get materials into people's hands. So the first thing we really had to tackle was just where staff were going to work, you know, Mm. because of physical distancing and capacity issues. um, We had to kind of create new workspaces. I think one thing that the public may not be aware of is that typically um, pre-pandemic, we staff three public desks. Um, So we have our reference desk on the second floor, our youth services desk in the children's area, and then our main circulation desk in uh, on the first floor. So we have a minimum staffing level of typically five people during the day to staff those three desks and then four at night. Uh, And that staff, you know, the, the actual individuals rotate throughout the day. Someone might spend the morning in circulation and the afternoon covering reference. Um, We have a kind of a day crew and an evening Mm -hmm. crew and uh, that crew changes from day to day too. Like some of our senior library techs, um, work like a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule or a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule Um, because we are primarily staffed by part-time staff members and we depend a lot, especially pre-pandemic, on our circulation assistance. So those are per diem staff members who don't have like a set schedule or guaranteed hours, but they kind of come in and fill the holes in the schedule. So um, when we came back to the library in May, we couldn't go back to that normal operation of constantly trading out workspaces, right? And um, we had some workstations, like the two, the two that the public are most familiar with at the circulation desk. You know, there's a standing workstation and a sitting mm-hmm. workstation. And those were just too close to each other for staff mm-hmm. to continue to use. Um, so we really had to get creative. Yeah. And <laughs> it was a lot of work in terms of the technology, like you know, our building um, was renovated in 1997 and that Mm. was kind of pre-internet boom. So we don't necessarily have wired internet access in every, in every like space or section Mm -hmm. of the building. So um, Jamie knows this, she saw it. We had to run ethernet um, cables up the columns and across soffits and over to other parts of the building (laughs) um, just to get our workstations connected to the internet in the phone system, which is also a voice over IP. So it's dependent on the internet. Um, So that was a big challenge, but you know, we worked through it. Absolutely. And um, we, we got staff spread out around the building and made sure that everyone had access to the technology that they needed to do their job. And, Mm -hmm. and then once we worked through the backlog of, um, you know, having the book drop closed for all of that time, we suddenly had all of these returns that were coming mm-hmm. back from patrons and our delivery system wasn't up and running yet. So we had to find ways to kind of store and and separate all of these materials that were coming back. Um, but once we got some of that backlog behind us, we were able to look forward and mm-hmm. start start really setting up operations for our curbside pickup, which was a huge step for us as a staff. And I know that um, everyone was instrumental in helping during that planning phase. I think that was one of the silver linings for me. And Jamie, I think you would say the same thing. Um, We really came together as a team. 
Yeah. And our, we really developed some strong communication skills Mm -hmm. and um, it was just a really positive thing and an empowering thing, I think, for the staff to come together and work as a team to set up curbside. It was a little bit. We had weekly meetings and, you know, uh, trying to plan and put things together and um, yeah. And there were, you know, really long email chains Mm -hmm. and discussions going back and forth, like weighing, (laughs) weighing risks and benefits and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to decide because we we really had to reinvent how we delivered materials to patrons. And and on top of that, there was this layer of making sure that we were maintaining safety for staff Mm -hmm. and patrons above all. Right. Because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So. Mm So it was pretty challenging, but it was rewarding. And I think we learned a lot from the process. And I think overall, it, it really benefited us as a team in the long run. Um, so that was curbside. Uh, we started that in June. And eventually in the fall, we were able to move to kind of a hybrid um, inside hours and, and maintain curbside for patrons who still needed the curbside service. Um, and then as health me- metrics started to kind of go in the wrong direction around the holidays, we did revert back to curbside, which is where we currently are, um, as we all kind of await the vaccination process and see where that goes and how that rollout goes and keep an eye on health metrics and where things are going. So so that kind of gives a little bit of background on how the pandemic impacted our operations, Mm. um, like in the building, delivering materials to people. But I think the other takeaway that I've had from this whole experience is that um, libraries were pretty well positioned. Mm -hmm. That first six weeks when we went all remote and staff weren't allowed in the building, uh, library users were still able to access our electronic Mm. collections. So I think the fact that for the last decade, libraries have been shifting some focus and some um, funding towards electronic collections that are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week online. For those who have internet connection, I should say that as a, as a caveat, they're accessible to anyone who has a connection to the internet and a device to use um, to access those things. So so I guess that was another silver lining that mm-hmm. um, patrons could still check out ebooks, audio books. They could stream things on Hoopla. Um, they could read magazines. They could access uh, our newspaper da- databases and, you know, continue to use those things. So we didn't disappear completely. Mm. We worked really hard in those first few weeks to kind of market um, the things that were still available. Right. And we saw ebook stats go way up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Use was huge. Um, So, you know, that was another kind of, like I said, silver lining um, of this whole experience and definitely is helping us in looking towards the future Mm -hmm. um, to recognize the importance of continuing to grow those um, electronic collections and provide access 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Absolutely. Um, You didn't mention uh, the CARES Act. I didn't know if you wanted to to, uh, to talk about that briefly, um, just what we're able to use the, the funding for that. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in the process of looking at um, spreading staff out throughout the building and mm-hmm. creating new workspaces, we were able to um, take a project that was kind of planned for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was on the capital plan for uh, like a, what was the word I used? Hmm. I'm going to pause here for a second so I can go, go back and find that. Okay. All right. So yeah, um, when we were discussing the need to spread staff out throughout the building, you know, to, to meet those physical distancing requirements and capacity requirements, um, that gave us an opportunity to reconfigure some space. Mm. And this project to reconfigure space was already on the capital plan for a future year and was intended to kind of address the library's need for office space, some storage space, um, sp small meeting space for tutoring and those sorts of things. And the intention of that project was to convert some existing collection areas um, to smaller office spaces. And with the help of D DPW, mm -hmm. we were able to do that using CARES Act funds. So we converted three alcoves, one on the first floor and two on the second floor, to office spaces and training areas. So Jamie, you're on the first floor, you're mm -hmm. in the new um, technology office, which um, right now we're using as an office, but in the future definitely could see some potential um, for some of our technology training, like one-on-one -on -one when we're right. able to resume some of those things taking place in that area. Mm -hmm. Upstairs on the second floor, we um, converted an alcove to our vital training area. So all of that specialized technology. Um, we have several computers that have assistive software like JAWS and Zoom Text and Guide um, and some other equipment that we use in our vital training um, is now in its own kind of training area, which is fantastic. Um, and then um, another area of the second floor was converted to an office space for our director, Jenny Hewitt. And so she moved her office up there um, which opened up another office space that was her previous space on the first floor. Mm -hmm. So we were able to kind of use those areas to spread staff out throughout the building while still providing them with access to all the technology that they needed to do their job. So sure. that was a really positive thing that came out of mm -hmm. um, the this pandemic process. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's, I think that kind of wraps up the mission and I'm, and I'm sure that you and I could come up with a dozen different ways that oh, yeah. COVID impacted mm -hmm. the library, <laughs> but um, I think we highlighted some of the big ones and I hope that we highlighted them in a way that, um, you know, really focused on what we were able to accomplish out of overcoming those challenges. Cause that was Absolutely. definitely something that we as a staff focused on throughout the process like just staying positive. We had this um, big white sticky note, Jamie can attest. We had this big <laughs> giant white sticky note on one of the interior mm -hmm. doors. And every time we accomplished something or, um, you know, made a positive change or found a silver lining, we were recording that. I still have yeah. that on the back of my office door. Yep. <laughs> um, just as a reminder to all of the good things that came out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Um, let's move on to our next question then. Um, so um, how does our department um, interact with other departments? Um, so how does our workflow impact them and um, who do we depend on support? Sure. Support? Um, so I think one really big and obvious um, collaboration that I think a lot of library users are probably aware of are, would be just all of the programs that we do with Monomoy Regional Schools. Mm 
Um, our youth librarian, our youth services librarian, Ann Carpenter, does a ton of outreach with the schools and with the rec department um, as well, especially during the summer. She provides um, book talks. Uh, library staff host some of the high school's summer reading book groups mm-hmm. every year, which is a lot of fun. Um, we support the rec department summer camp with, um, we call it a deposit collection, which essentially just means that we provide them with a couple of carts of books and um, in movies and activities and things that they can use as a part of their summer program. So that's a great collaboration. Um, they also work with us for our summer reading kickoff every year. We kind of do a typically, we typically do a joint program for the summer reading mm-hmm. kickoff where um community members can sign their kids up for summer reading and sign up for summer camps and a lot of the classes and activities that the rec department does. So that's always a fun collaboration. Um, and also works really closely with a lot of early childhood, um, organizations and groups. Um, those aren't necessarily town departments, but it's a tie in. Um, and then we work really closely with the council on aging as well. Um, In terms of programming and outreach, you know, in the past, we've done device advice Mm -hmm. and tech talks and other tech help um, kind of workshops there. And then obviously Channel 18 is another Mm -hmm. one. We, we again, typically have a um, library update spot on Channel 18 that pre-pandemic we were filming on a really regular basis. That's changed a little bit over the course of the year, but I'm sure that it'll be back and better than ever soon. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the departments that I think that we are most, that we most depend on for support is uh, DPW Mm -hmm. and facilities maintenance. Um, So the facilities maintenance crew is fantastic. Huge shout out to Eric and Wes. They did all of the work on that reconfiguration project during um, the first part of the pandemic. Uh, They actually built those new office spaces and did a fantastic job. Um, I'm excited for the future when, when patrons can come in and see what a great job they did with that. I mean, it almost looks like it was an original part of the building. You don't even, (laughs) yeah, it was seamless. It was Mm -hmm. really seamless. They did a fantastic job and they help us with things all the time. They just recently Mm -hmm. helped weatherproof our curbside area um, by putting up some weatherproofing just so we can make sure that we are keeping materials protected from Mm -hmm. the elements. Um, So we depend on them quite a lot for a lot of stuff. Um, the library staff and, and the board have operational control of the library, meaning like the day-to-day tasks in running the operations of the library. But the building itself is really maintained by DPW. It's a, you know, a town-wide asset. So we depend on them a lot. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so our next question is, um, uh, what is your annual budget and what uh, line items are included? Sure. Um, so, the budget coin has two sides, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to look at what's coming in and what's going out. And I don't think it will come as a surprise to anybody <laughs> that we aren't a revenue generating department, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's true of public libraries across the U.S. Um, one like steadfast goal of libraries is to provide equitable access to all community members. So yes. we don't want anyone to miss an opportunity to learn or grow from their experiences attending programs or utilizing services or accessing materials because they can't pay for them. So Mm -hmm. we don't charge for programs or using the public computers. Um, We don't charge for workshops or classes or book groups. Um, We don't charge community groups to meet in our meeting room when that's a possibility. 
Um, we just, we want as many people as possible to be able to access the library, bottom line. Mm. So we're not a revenue generating department. We, um, do collect, we do some fine collection. Mm -hmm. Um, but truthfully the amount was so minimal, um, that the board recently decided to go fine free. Mm -hmm. So at one point in the past, um, I think we were, our collections and fines were about $8,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And that all went back into the general fund. It didn't come back into the library budget. It wasn't deposited into a library account, so to speak. It went into the general fund. Um, And then about six or seven years ago, when library users started accessing their accounts online Mm -hmm. and they were able to renew things themselves. and, um, And then eventually when CLAMS instituted automatic renewals, Mm. those, that fine collection dropped to under $3,000 a year. So, I mean, it it was cut in half, more than, more than half by those kind of automated things that started happening. Um, So at the start of the pandemic, libraries across the country decided to go fine free. Mm. I mean, we can't, our book drops were closed. You couldn't return materials if you wanted to. (laughs) So you know, it was just kind of silly to think about collecting fines on things that were coming back late because we had to close the book drop. So um, all of the CLAMS libraries went fine-free at the beginning of the pandemic. I think initially the deadline was maybe June and then it got pushed back to (laughs) December and it it just kept getting pushed back. Um, But during that process, we started having discussions as like a library leadership team about um, this kind of phenomenon that's happening across the country where libraries are just choosing to go fine free. And we presented that idea to our board of trustees and, um, boy, am I grateful to have an accountant on the board of trustees because Mm. Linda Savula was instrumental in making this decision. She asked one question. She said, um, how much staff time is taken up in collecting fines and Mm -hmm. what's the financial implication of that Mm -hmm. versus the amount of fines that you collect, like, does it just offset each other? Are you spending so much staff time collecting fines that there's really no benefit to collecting them in the first place? Mm. So we spent the next month between board meetings, um, looking into that a little bit further and crunching the numbers and figuring out how many hours a week staff were spending Mm -hmm. on overdue notices and all of the different pieces of fine collection. And when we came back to the board and, and showed them, um, the amount of staff time that was being taken with that, they said, yep, this doesn't make sense. And they voted to go fine free. Mm-hmm. So there's still some work to be done on the back end at CLAMS in terms of our, um, like the software system that we yep. use to track our collections and to track patron records. There's a little bit of work to do on that back end, but um, we are officially fine free mm-hmm. and very happy about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's the revenue side. Um which is basically to say there isn't a much of a revenue side (laughs) on, on the flip side. um, The bulk of our budget is dedicated to two things, collection spending and salaries and wages. Mm -hmm. Those two pieces account for about 90 to 95% of our overall budget, um, which makes sense because Mm -hmm. those are our two biggest resources, right? The materials that we circulate, newspapers, magazines, books, audiobooks, games, our library of things, hotspots, all of the various things that we circulate are a huge chunk of our spending on an annual basis. Um, 
And then our staff who maintain the collections, assist users with locating and utilizing all the resources that we offer. Mm -hmm. Um, Our staff also run programs and, you know, do a lot of book groups and craft programs. So it makes sense that our two biggest assets, Mm -hmm. our collection and our staff are definitely also our two biggest expenditures. And then about the other, you know, five to 10% is um, office supplies and subscriptions to various professional organizations that, um, you know, provide us with tools and resources to do our job. Um, and then technology. Technology is a big part of that that last bit of the budget. And and if the pandemic highlighted anything, I think it highlighted the need to continue to expand um, our technology for staff Absolutely. and for patrons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's one piece of the budget that's a little heavy and and awkward, but I wanted to mention it. Um, it's the municipal appropriations requirement. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of our library users are probably not aware of this. I was telling Jamie before Mm -hmm. we recorded this that I didn't even understand um, the municipal appropriations requirement or MAR, as we call it, Mm -hmm. uh, for like the first five years that I worked at the library. But it's written into mass general law. And because I am such a librarian, um, it's Chapter 78, Mm -hmm. Section 19A, Mm -hmm. because I have to provide you with an exact reference. That states that a municipality must appropriate a figure of at least the average of the last three years municipal appropriations to the library for operations, increased by two and a half percent each year in order to be certified for state aid to public libraries. So that's directly from the law. But basically what it means is that in order to be eligible for certification, the the town has to continue to fund the library Mm -hmm. um, at like a fair and equitable rate. Um, And that that funding needs to remain stable over time, Mm -hmm. right? So taking a big hit in one year could impact us over the long run, basically, is kind of how I like to think of that. Um, And state aid is is a really important part of our budget, too, Mm -hmm. um, that in order to be eligible for that state aid, we have to meet that municipal appropriations requirement. And then the state allocates funding for public libraries each year, Mm -hmm. and that's deposited into our state aid account. And that's money that we can draw on um, for, you know, whatever we might um, need in terms of uh, collection spending Mm -hmm. or capital projects. In the past, we've used some of that state aid funds for capital projects like the exterior renovation project. But it also means that um, certification is what allows us to take advantage of reciprocal lending among all the CLAMS libraries. So if we were to lose certification at the state level, um, the other local libraries, Dennis, Brewster, Chatham, Orleans, all of the CLAMS libraries would not be required to serve Harwich patrons. Mm -hmm. So if you had... um, a library card, you had a Harwich address, they could deny you service Mm -hmm. if we lost certification. And moving outwards, it also means that we wouldn't be eligible for um, participation in the Commonwealth catalog. Mm -hmm. So for some of our power users, you know, when you can't find something you're looking for from one of the CAPE libraries, there are other levels of service. Mm -hmm. We can go to the Commonwealth catalog and request materials from 
any of the public or academic libraries across the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. And then that third layer is ILL. So we can actually look beyond the state of Massachusetts and um, try and request materials from other states across the U.S. Sometimes from other countries as well. Yep. Yep. At times, that's absolutely true. Um, So, you know, meeting that MAR and maintaining our certification is really important to um, it's a really important part of being able to provide uh, that wider access to our users Mm. beyond just our collection and our building. So it's really important that we remain certified. And um, this year, that means that both the library budget and the annual article at town meeting that provides some funding to Chase and Harwichport, we need both of those to pass in mm-hmm. order to meet our MAR and maintain our certification. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I talked a little bit about funding from the state and funding from the town. And I think it, I would really be remiss if I left out our friends group. Mm-hmm. Um, they are instrumental in, in helping us in a variety of ways. Um, financially, they provide financial support. They raise money through their membership dues and book sales. Um, and that supports our museum pass program. Um, we have a leasing contract with McNaughton that allows us to provide duplicate copies of really popular titles. Mm -hmm. Um, and they pay for that. They also help with a lot of our special programming, especially relating to the kids summer reading program. Um, but above and beyond their financial contributions, um, they also provide a lot of time and energy as volunteers. They um, run the book sale. They volunteer in the library shelving and doing other tasks. And um, one of the most important outreach opportunities that we have is through our book delivery program, Books on Wheels. And um, the friends are in complete and total control of that. We offer some administrative support. Um, but they have volunteers who handle every single piece mm-hmm. of that from um, intakes with new books on wheels participants to requesting books and movies mm-hmm. for deliveries on a weekly basis to actually doing the deliveries. Mm-hmm. And they were chomping at the bit, for lack of a better term, um, back after uh, when the library staff came back into the building mm-hmm. last May. They were so excited and so ready to get back to delivering service, um, the delivery service, excuse me, to our Books on Wheels participants. And they worked really hard to make sure that they came up with a plan and a process that, again, focused on safety for volunteers, staff, and the Books on Wheels recipients. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were really excited about being able to get back to making contactless deliveries to all of these Books on Wheels patrons. Um, and that was just another like really lovely part of mm-hmm. getting back to service. Absolutely. Yeah. Alrighty. So our final question um, is, um, are there ways residents and voters um, can learn more about um, and or participate with our department? Oh, well, I think this is perfect lead in to the mm-hmm. friends because one way is you can join the friends. Yes. Um, <laughs> Join the friends and you'll have lots of opportunities um, to stay involved and help out um, volunteering your time and all those other things. But in terms of staying like informed about what we do, I think the main sources are, you know, just our website is a big one. 
Um, we have some fantastic social media pages um, that people can follow to learn more about what's going on at the library. And we offer a newsletter. So you can register for that newsletter on our website. It'll come right to your email inbox. And um, you'll get a nice kind of weekly picture of what's going on at the library. Mm. In terms of um, participating in or serving, I guess, in our department, we do have uh, a board of trustees. It's an elected board with seven members, and they serve as a policymaking board. So they govern library operations, help us um, create and approve policy. And there are subcommittees um, on that board. You know, we have a buildings and grounds committee. And um, so there are lots of opportunities if you wanted to run for an elected position on the board of trustees. Um, If you're not interested in running and being on the board, those meetings are still open to the public. We meet the first Wednesday of every month at 7 p.m. Those meetings are currently virtual at this point in time. Um, So there's a link right on the town website. If you go to the calendar and you look on the first Wednesday of each month, you'll see the board of trustees listed there. And there's a link to join the board meeting. And we always encourage community members to um, attend to those meetings and and or to contact us by phone or through email to ask questions or, you know, make suggestions, whatever the case may be. All right. Well, that's the end of our uh, questions here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was a little... We, we did um, some outreach looking for community questions and nobody submitted any community yes. questions for the library. Mm-hmm. But so. if you have any, please let us know because we're going to be around to, to answer those questions. Um, um, yeah, but absolutely. This is very great. Yeah. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to interview you and um, definitely looking forward to the, the rest of the podcasts and to hear from other uh, town representatives. I think it'll be uh, the great. Yeah. Well, I think like you said at the beginning, um, I've learned a lot Mm -hmm. in, in recording these segments with other departments. It's just really interesting. I think sometimes town departments, you know, uh, the different department heads get together for department head meetings Mm -hmm. and, you know, in preparation for budget and other things, but it's just nice to have a deeper conversation and kind of learn about the things that go on behind the scenes, um, that keep things running smoothly. So I think it's a nice opportunity to share a little bit about ourselves Mm -hmm. and, and help, um, everybody understand what it is we do and how we do it. Um, and to learn from each other and other departments. So thank you for agreeing to trade roles with me (laughs) and be the interviewer. Um, I appreciate your help, Jamie. Absolutely. All right. So we'll be back with another segment soon. Thank you all for listening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this segment of the Know Your Town series. We hope you enjoyed it and learned a little something new in the process. Visit the links in the show notes for more information on the resources discussed in each episode and to sign up for alerts via the Civic Ready Alert system. If you're considering joining a town board or committee, we hope you'll visit the Voter Information Committee page on the Town of Harwich website where you'll find a list of current vacancies and information on how to apply. Thanks for listening and take care, everyone.